Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Behind the Sounds. I am super excited to be joined by the wonderful Caitlin Smith today. Hello, thank you so much for being Hi. here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been great. And I know you have been here, there and everywhere recently. I know you've been touring and you've taken the RV out on the road. How has it been just kind of being out again and being around and touring? Man, it is um, both so wonderful being able to be back doing what I absolutely love. Um, and also so exhausting. I feel like I talk to a lot of my friends, we feel this way, like, you know, for a couple of years, we just were chill making gardens, like where it wasn't a very heavy social schedule. And I think um, I know I for sure kind of hit warp speed whenever, when, you know, when life opened back up again. Um, and so it feels very good, but also like a bit like a blender. <laughs> <laughs> And I love the way you've done it because you you did like an RV tour, right? So you kind of packed up and were like, I'm going to make this a bit of a road trip as well as a work trip. How was that to kind of put it all together? It was amazing. You know, I've got two little kids, a six-year-old and an almost four-year-old, two boys. And we love to bring them on the road. Um, and we've done a handful of tours kind of on our east coast and cities are a lot closer together and and right now we're traveling in a in a van in a sprinter van um and so with kids it's extra right um <laughs> it's already uh wild enough to pile in a van with a bunch of stinky musician dudes <laughs> but to add um kids on that is you know it adds to the the circus um and so when i found out we were going to do the the tour on the west coast you know cities are a lot more spaced out it's a lot of mountains a lot of beautiful national parks um i knew i wanted to have a little bit more space and so and plus i wanted to take some time to see the magic and so we decided to rent an rv um we slept in the rv like most of the nights which was crazy the kids loved it um i actually i loved it i grew up camping and so it brought back a lot of those um childhood memories which are very i think of very fondly um so it was fun but it was you know it was an adventure <laughs> rvs i don't know if you know they they actually uh they stink a little bit if it gets really really hot so yeah, that was extra stinky too <laughs> i mean you know but it's it's so worth it for the views and the music and all that <laughs> it was amazing you know and to be able to like i love that part of our of the country um but it was amazing because you know with two little kids i was like well how are we going to keep them entertained on you know we've got a nine hour drive we got an eight hour drive um and they would spend hours just staring out the window and watching the the scenery roll by and it would just you know in a world that's so fast paced and, and kids these days their attention spans are getting shorter and shorter right it was amazing to just watch them like take in nature and be entertained by that <laughs> i absolutely love that it sounds dreamy um, and talking of childhoods, it's somewhere where I always love to start when we start this podcast and we talk about the music because we all get so much influence from our childhood. So obviously you said you were going camping and things. What was your childhood like musical wise? Did you have yeah. it in your life? Yeah, totally. Um, there was always music on. Um, 
on in my house. My dad constantly had the radio on in his garage. And if it wasn't, you know, if we weren't in the garage listening to music, it was on in our house. My mom played a little bit of piano. My dad played a little bit of guitar, but they weren't musicians really. Um, and I started, you know, singing in church. I grew up in singing the old hymns and um, it was somewhere where I just be kind of became enamored with the harmonies and, and melodies and, and singing. Um, and it also gave me a way to just try singing in a very forgiving spot <laughs> um, very early, which was really exciting. And, and then as I, as I got older, you know, I started really diving into country music um, and started singing at little fairs and festivals and things around my, my tiny hometown. Um, and so early on, um, I developed an incredible passion for, for singing, but also performing as well. Yeah, and I think, is it one of them things that when you grow up around so much music and you're, you're constantly in it, did you always kind of just feel very natural in that? It kind of was a natural progression to be like, oh, I'm, I'm going to sing. And obviously you could. <laughs> so did it feel quite easy to, to move into that kind of performing side of things? Yeah, it felt really natural. I think um, my parents, you know, would, would they'd, my mom would sit down on the piano and we would sing show tunes together or country songs and as she would play and I would sing. And I think they recognized like, oh, your pitch is really great, like as a, at a young age. And so, and they had a couple people mention to them, like, that's not normal, like the way that she's singing as a kid. And so uh, I think I was seven years old when they put me in voice lessons and I learned how to sing classically and breathe right. And, and so like when you're starting that young and continuing to get affirmation from all the adults around you, um, you know, I think it was exciting for me as a kid. I was like, wow, okay, I'm good at this. This is so cool. Um, it was very apparent that I wasn't good at sports or t-ball and things like that. <laughs> like, wasn't getting the affirmation there. Um, and so I think, yeah, just kind of being around that developed this like, wow, I love doing this, but also like it, it makes people happy when I yeah. sing. So It really does. And it's, it's one of them things that you say, it brings people together and people notice and picking that up. Was there then a time where I suppose when possibly when you were a bit older, where you were like, okay, actually, this is something I know I'm good at because people are telling me, so maybe I'll do it for a living. Is there a kind yeah. of time in your life where you realize that that switch kind of flipped and you were like, okay, I can possibly do this? For sure. I mean, it started happening early. I, I remember being in middle school and I had started writing songs too at a pretty young age. I think I was eight or nine when I just started making stuff up and, and trying to write my own music. So by the time I was in middle school, I had a bunch of original songs and I put together a little band with some of my friends in school. My brother played drums and I was, you know, like cold calling coffee shops and venues and trying to get them to book our band. And, you know, I just, I wanted to do it. It, as a kid in you know in high school and so as I was doing that as a middle schooler I think my parents saw the diligence they saw the passion um and they they sat me down when I was about 15 years old and they said well we notice you really love this you're you're making some money which is really cool but everybody keeps asking for music what do you think about making your first 
album. Mm -hmm. We will help you out. And so they gave me a loan. It was understood that I was like, this was my school. It was like my college fund. And they're like, here it is, but you have to, you have to pay it back. We're not going to give you money. <laughs> and so it was an incredible way as a, as a teenager to learn how to own my own business, to learn how to recoup. Um, and just to, I, I mean, to do every piece of it. So booking, um, being my own roadie, uh, being my own promo person, like all of those, uh, you know, I was wearing all of those hats as a kid, um, but what a great way to learn the music business. <laughs> yeah, and that's often, I, I love talking to people who kind of, you know, go into this career and, and don't actually realize that there's so many different hats to wear and there's so many different things you have to do. Do you think like looking back, it's really helped you now when other people are doing that for you to maybe kind of communicate and understand each other more because you've done it yourself? Absolutely. It creates a great deal of understanding and empathy um, for whatever role it might be from selling merch to actually booking the shows. Like I've done it independently, so I know <laughs> that it's not easy. Um, and so definitely there's like a level of understanding and respect that I have for all of it, which I think is, it's good. It's good to have that. Yeah, I think it's, it's so great. And at what point, obviously you say you grew up and you, you really got into a lot of country music. Did you always know that you were probably going to head to Nashville? Was it the obvious thing to do? Um, I figured that out in sometime in high school. And um, I took my first trip to Nashville because I heard that's where you go if you want to do music. Um, and when I got there, I really I fell in love with Music City, but I also discovered that it's Songwriter City and that there's a whole industry of songwriters that are paying the bills and making money by just writing for other people. And it, it was around there where I found out, well, I don't necessarily know how my artist path is gonna go, how it's gonna happen. This seems like a really good backup plan to just like craft songs and, mm -hmm. and write them for other people. And so, um, so I made my way to Nashville and took dozens and dozens of trips back and forth from my hometown to Music City um, to, to write with people, to get to know people, and to eventually land a publishing deal as well. And so um, I didn't, like, I think it was on that first trip where I realized, I think this is where I need to be. Um, but it took me about five or six years to finally move there. I love that. And I love that you kind of went with the songwriting as a backup plan, because it ended up, in you know, initially being a huge success for you you've written some some massive hits and still are obviously for yourself as well how long obviously you say five or six years to actually move but you know how long did it take since you when you officially moved to kind of feel like you'd actually made it as a songwriter because <laughs> if, you, if you look at like your writing credits it seems like it happened so quickly and so. you know things you know came in and you wrote for some big massive names you know Jason Aldean, Cassidy Pope, Rascal Flatts in you know short succession and then you obviously you had some bigger hits which we'll talk about in more detail but was there a time kind of early on where you were like oh yeah actually this backup plan is is pretty good it's working. <laughs> um, I think the moment that I signed my publishing deal and I was like, someone is paying me in advance, really, but mm -hmm. someone's paying me to write songs like that. 
you know, I think it comes in, in waves. It comes in chunks, right. Of that, of that feeling of validation. So that was the first one getting that first cut that first call that Jason Aldean was recording one of my one of my songs like that's another step of like oh my gosh like I'm really doing this but it's very interesting um and I think that every industry has this uh the scenario called it's called the hedonic treadmill I don't know if you've heard of this yeah. but what it is is basically you have your you have your goals and your dreams so I packed up my little car uh, and moved on to Nashville with all my hopes and dreams too. Um, but what's crazy is, is like, okay, you reach those dreams that you had right when you first moved. And then the bar just keeps getting higher and the bar keeps getting higher and it keeps. And so I've noticed that happening with everybody in Nashville too. It's like, so it's hard because you're like, okay, I've got this cut, but I don't have the single. Okay, I've never had a number. I've actually never had a number one in country music, um, and so that's like for me. Oh wow, have I really made like? And so it's it's hard, you know. To uh, you have to you have to take every tiny success along the way and choose to celebrate it, because um, otherwise you're just going to be chasing the the thing. And so to answer your question, like, do I feel like I've made it? Like, um, on some days, yes. And on some days, like, I'm like, okay, I've got to get that next thing and that next thing. So I try and stay present and grateful for the things that have already happened. If that makes sense. It makes so much sense. And I, the treadmill, is, yeah, <laughs> I'm the very, I'm a, a fan, but also a fan of the treadmill. <laughs> it, it makes so much sense. And uh, it is, uh, I know, and in, in all aspects of life. Um, we, we focus on that a lot. So I love that you, you talk about that. Um, we do, I can't, you know, it's a songwriting podcast. I can't let you on and not talk about this song because, um, and I know it's something you, you play when you're on tour and you talk about it a lot, but possibly if you're going to write a song for anyone in country music, Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers are going to be up there <laughs> with the people you want to write for. Um, and you, you got to write a duet for them. Can you just in a nutshell, tell us a little bit about that song and that experience for you. Yeah. I mean, honestly, every time someone even mentions it or bring it up, I, it gives me chills still. I, like, I I can't wrap my head around that that still really happened. <laughs> um, and I'm forever, forever grateful for it. Um, but the story of the song uh, begins with my songwriter, hero, and mentor, Don Schlitz. Um, when I first moved to town, he really took me under his wing and taught me so much about songwriting. And we have written dozens and dozens of songs together. And um, on one day when I, I, I uh, arrived at his house, he had just the week before been inducted in the Songwriter Hall of Fame. And Don, Don has written songs for uh, for Kenny Rogers. He's written The Gambler. Uh, he's written some of my favorites, like Forever and Ever Amen, or When You Say Nothing at All. Um, some of my favorite songs. And so anyways, he was inducted in the Hall of Fame. Kenny Rogers was there presenting and pulled him aside and said, Don, I've got this song title. Will you please write this for me? So we told him the title. And then the next week, Don and I were writing and he had saved the, the idea for for me, which I was so grateful for. So we sat down and we wrote this little title called You Can't Make Old Friends. Um, him and I have just this very 
beautiful way of writing where he's he's like this brilliant lyricist he just sits at his computer and like creates this magic and I try and figure out okay how do we sing that magic and so the song was written so so quickly we emailed it to Kenny Rogers and then we didn't hear anything <laughs> a month goes by two months go by like six months go by nothing and so we're like oh I guess he didn't like like it I don't know <laughs> but I do remember um it was on April Fool's Day, the joke day of the year, where everyone pulls pranks on each other. I'm sitting having breakfast with my publisher, and he says to me, did you hear about the, the Kenny Rogers song? I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, well, he's pulling Dolly Parton on the song. And I just remember being like, if this is an April Fool's joke, I am leaving town. This is not like, <laughs> of all the I days you could tell and you know to celebrate the uh 30 years since they had released islands in the stream mm -hmm. they wanted to do it one last time and they uh they decided to record our song and so it's the most magical thing that's ever happened to me in my life i feel like it's all downhill from here <laughs> oh, I'm so forever grateful <laughs> But I cry every time I hear that song, every time. It is, and I know, I mean, when, when I got to see you last year at uh, Country to Country and you played um, in London and, and you sang it, and I think it's one of them things where what a thing to say you've done, but also not just a duet, but that whole 30 years, and it was their last duet, and, and so many amazing things that, that come with that. Um, going like forward after that, did did you feel things had changed for you? Because as you, they're like the biggest names in all of country music. <laughs> did it did it change anything for you in terms of kind of who you were in rooms with or was that all already kind of quite settled? Yeah, I feel like, I don't know if that song really uh, bumped things, but I, I it's hard for me to assess that. You know, because I was writing with everyone in town and finding my group of people. And um, so I think I don't know if that if that was it or what it was, um, because I think it was around then, too, where I started really missing the stage and missing performing my own music and really wanting to start making my own albums. And so, um, I mean, the whole thing was constantly shifting. So I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I completely get that. And I think it's it's so interesting to recognise it from that perspective where actually you're like, I don't really know what did what. And it's just, it all happened. Um, I do want to talk so much about your own music, but there's another duet. And I'm so intrigued by the story of how this happened in that you wrote one of the biggest pop duets in the last 10 years, the last decade, which is uh, was John Legend and Megan Trainor, Like I'm Gonna Lose You. And... I think from a maybe from a fan perspective, it was quite an unexpected hit. It was kind of this duet that kind of you know, got released and didn't have too much. And then all of a sudden blew up and was massive. Um, I know you wrote that uh, and co-wrote it with Megan. And but again, how did that happen? Because you're in Nashville, you're writing all these country hits, you're working on your own music. And then out of the blue pulls out this massive pop hit. Right. Well, um, I mean, I chalked this all up to Megan. I remember when she when she came to town and I started he hearing people started passing around her demos. They're like, listen to this. She's amazing. 
And I remember my publisher was listening to one of her songs in his office and I popped in and I was like, who is, who is that? And then he's like, that's that Megan girl. And she, I was like, please, like, please get me with her. And so I remember we sat down, she had just signed her publishing deal. And she's like, I don't know if I want to be an artist. She's like talking about, she's like, I don't know. I got a little, little too many LBs for to be an artist. Like she was talking about that, which it's funny that ended up being her first single like yeah I was like girl whatever (laughs) and I just remember like how magical how magical she is and she was on that on that day that we wrote um she picked up a ukulele and we couldn't really figure out what to write about we were just going to write a song like to pitch to like Kelly Clarkson or something we just were like let's just make something up I don't know and so um you know, I remember she had mentioned having a bad dream about um, losing her brother or something. And then, you know, the conversation went to like my, our other co-writer, Justin Weaver, who, you know, there's this other scenario where they had lost someone uh, in their life. And so we just were talking about life and loss and the fragility of of this journey that we're on, right? And, um, and then this beautiful song just it came out of it. Um, on the demo, like Megan plays ukulele, I'm singing the demo. And um, it's it's like actually a little more reggae the way we wrote it, which is crazy. Yeah, wow. um, and so then we fast forward like a couple years, the song just sat there. And um, a couple years later, she starts working on, on her own artist stuff, writes all about that bass to pitch. And, um, you know, she sits down with the, I can't remember who it was, the head of summer, record label and they're like no this is your song mm-hmm. we're signing you so anyways long story short is you know she pulled together a record and that song kind of floated to the top they reworked it as the 6-8 jam that it is yeah. <laughs> um, produced it with a guy named Chris Galbuda in East Nashville and um, I am so so very grateful for that little song it was very unexpected yeah um, but it, it became yeah, my first first number one which is nuts it's so great and it's it's that story again of you writing a song and then there's kind of this period of time where you're like nothing's happening with it and I, I always yeah. find whenever I talk to people about kind of big hits that's always the case and <laughs> they're always like oh yeah we don't hear anything for a while um and again did that kind of make you think oh I could write more outside of country or were you always still like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my vibe because your own music definitely I personally think kind of you know merges different genres which is so great but did that kind of inspire you to branch out a little bit more yeah I mean I definitely was already doing the branching out and I think in that in that time a lot of LA was coming to Nashville starting to come to Nashville and you know my publisher was was putting me in those rooms um and it was just because I think melody wise like i can lean into country i can lean into pop i can kind of go anywhere and so um so it made sense and so i think that once that song hit i i was definitely pushing even more into pop but um i think it was already happening Mm -hmm. in nashville while we were writing that song i agree and i think nowadays as well it's so hard to kind of define a genre because as you say, everyone is, you know, LA's coming to Nashville, Nashville's going to LA, it's everyone's kind of merging and, and dipping in and out. And it's so hard to kind of be like, this is this, this is that, because there are so many elements to it. 
have you found that as well kind of with writing and and being your own artist absolutely i mean i i feel like i mean music is constantly shifting and constantly changing um even you know even in the country music genre what was on the radio when I first moved to Nashville versus what's on the radio now versus what's winning awards. Like it's all, it's all constantly shifting. I do feel like there's um, more of a, a pop element that's seeping in to country music, but I also feel like it goes the other way. And, and that a lot of the, the pop music is becoming more specific, more stories like, mm-hmm. and so it used to be like pop was just like a basic emotion, a simple lyric very repetitive and country music is where the stories lived right but I feel like it's all kind of starting to yeah entangle together (laughs) it is and for the best I think it's been so great and I think you know I've listened to probably more pop music in the last five years than I have in the last 20 years because it's it is becoming more more interesting you know there's more to it and yeah for sure for sure um, so I love that, that you see that too as an artist and a writer. And then, so finally, talking of artistry, I'm going to start with your, your first full-length album because there is just something about your albums that I think just kind of pierce your heart. It is, um, there's so much storytelling and so much emotion to them. But going back 2018, I think it was Starfire, you finally got to release a full-length record of your own. Can you tell me a little bit just about that whole experience of of having your own album out there? Yeah, it was it was such an incredible journey creating that record. Um, I mean, going back even a few years before that, and and talking about my journey even to to that record, you know, I had realized in the writing room I was missing. I was missing the stage. I was missing, you know, singing my own music. And I had went around to every record label in Nashville and heard no, but that's a great song. Can I can I put it on this artist that we just signed over here like constantly. And it was, you know, I it was so many no's and so many closed doors and it finally led me to a place where I said, "You know what? I'm just I'm just going to make my own record that I love. I'm not going to think about radio, I'm not gonna think about anything except putting songs on it that I connect with. And, um, and so I went in, I, I met this wonderful producer, Paul Moak, um, and we made just this magical little record. And um, it was so much fun uh, to kind of tune out the voices and just create. And it was even more fun to put it out there in the world. And um have people actually care about it <laughs> i was like wow this, this, this is insane <laughs> um and be able to to connect with the songs and, and i mean the whole journey was was absolutely magical so it's so great and i think i love you know obviously the t- title being starfire and you talking about it being magical and a journey was, was so great and i am going to skip forward a little bit because i i really want to delve into your second album slightly um which came out at the beginning of 2020 supernova and i promise i don't say this to everyone one of my all-time favorite albums and i remember it being released oh my god Thank in you. all around <laughs> it was uh, weeks apart 
from Nightfall, Little Big Town's Nightfall. And I remember just having that and Nightfall on repeat for weeks <laughs> and weeks and weeks. Um, I can imagine- I love that Nightfall record too. It's oh so man. Good. And I think there was so much uh, kind of, you know, mirroring between the two records in the sense of it was, they were kind of quite moody and, and dramatic, but with so much kind of heart. And I can imagine there was so much planning into that record being released. You'd had so much traction. It was a really kind of highly anticipated second record. And then everything shuts down and you can't do anything. <laughs> Firstly, can you tell me a little bit about just the process and the kind of meaning behind Supernova? And then we'll talk about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um... Well, yeah, I mean, everybody talks about how second records are so tricky. They're so hard. Um, you're coming off of a, you know, your debut and it's like, okay, now what? Now what do you say? Now where do you go? Um, and I had met a handful of collaborators uh, in the journey of making Supernova. Leggy Landon being one of them, Jennifer DeSilvio, both of them in LA that I really, really connected with. And um, Leggy had made uh, a track of one of the songs we had written and I just, I really fell in love with his like very rich, like the rich production, um, the mood, the moodiness of it, the cinematicness of mm -hmm. it. And I thought, man, this would be a really fun place to go with, with record number two. And so, um, you know, I, so I, I recorded half of the album in LA and half of the album in Nashville. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to go back and think. I had just uh, toured um, Starfire a bunch, had another baby, and and, um, and so there was a lot of like holding the baby in the studio and writing these <laughs> songs as well. Um, but I mean, I was really, really super excited about Supernova. Super excited about the songs. I, you know, I had a chance to write with some of my heroes on the record as well. And um, and so, like you said, like it was highly anticipated and we had a big year plan touring with Little Big Town, touring with Mary Morris, like it was all of the all of the things, right? Yeah. Um, and so when the record was released on March 13th, 2020, which was, we were out on the road with Little Big Town, about to fly to New York City to do like all the big TV stuff and, um, you know, we get the call, the tour is canceled and, um, I don't know what's going to happen, but you just have to drive home. And I just remember my husband and I like, Ooh, this is, nuts. um, but so there's all of this heart, all of this energy, right? Two years spent into writing and recording this album. Um, and to be met with like, oh man, all of these expectations and hopes, like for what putting this baby out into the world were just like the fire was put out right yeah. um and it was uh i went through definitely a period of like mourning the album of like mourning the the kind of death of the, the dream of the album and yeah. um we really might i feel grateful because my team really they did their best to pivot we all did right everybody tried to make the best of a really terrible situation um, but it, it took me a minute to finally just make peace of like, you know what, I'm not in control of any of this. Um, 
And I just have to give it up to be like, whoever needs to find this album right now will find this album. And it just like, it taught me so many lessons of just letting things go. And as a tr control freak, that's very hard. It's a hard <laughs> lesson I keep learning. Uh, and yeah. so, you know, yeah, when I think of that album, I think of like, wow, the lesson of letting go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm so great, but what an album to do it with. And I love so, so much that, you know, as you say, you you have no control. And actually that saying of whoever will find this album will find it and whoever needs it. And I, I actually think for me personally, that was probably it because I think I found that record and it was on repeat and it was it was what I needed at that point. And I think so many other people will, will feel that way. Um, and yes, we all obviously lost a period of time to everything, but coming kind of out of it now, and you've got a new project out, which is so great, which we're going to talk about. Um, are you still kind of excited about going out and playing the songs that you kind of never really got to play? Yes, it is exciting. Um, Especially when I was just when I was in the UK um, in March for C to C, I realized I hadn't toured either one of these records, and these these fans have lived with these albums and are still very excited like to hear them, and so it was that actually going over there and playing the old records really like even brought some life back into them for me, um, but it was it was fun to go back out on the road and play some of supernova but it's hard because you're most excited about your most recent work yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so i didn't get to play the whole album and do the whole thing justice but we did some of it <laughs> yeah, i love that and let's talk about the new project um it came out in april which seems like it was so long ago but actually also yesterday um the the title track being high which is a song that's, that's been in the world for a few years now because it was recorded by Miley Cyrus and then you have kind of been like yeah I wrote that but actually it, it's I'm going to release my own version of it which is just impeccable and I know recently over the last kind of few weeks you've done more acoustic versions and it's been out again um why did you decide to re-release and re-record that song as your own again yes well from the moment we wrote the song I felt crazy connected to it. I, I was in love with it, right? Um, and so when I wrote it, I knew like, well, this is the start of, of my next project for sure. Um, but then when we got the call that, that Miley had heard the song and, um, you know, Mark Ronson was gonna produce it and she wanted to do it, like, I was like, absolutely. Like, it is, it is truly the highest honor when another artist hears, hears a song and loves it enough that they want to they want to make it their own and so i'm always like yep awesome great and i'll do the songwriter version over here on my record <laughs> and um you know i think people used to do it a lot more where if there was a song that was like connecting um multiple artists would record it it wouldn't stop people from from putting it on the record if it had been even a hit on someone else um and so that's never really scared me from recording my own version of any any of those songs. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And you made you know you made it into a project which has has been so good. And is there kind of more to come with this kind of era? Are you allowed to yes. have anything? I'm so excited. So this album, when I created it, was actually it was meant to exist 
as a whole record. Um, And so, but we decided to release it in pieces because even because the listening, listening ship, I think of, of fans has, has changed. Consumers are not able to, they don't, they don't make time to sit down and listen to records like they used to. And so I decided we'll do a slow trickle of music. We'll start with high. And so the whole concept of high and low, um, really came after I had written the song high and then, uh, non-intentionally written a song called low, um, that I really loved. And as I was piecing this album together, I was realizing, um, that I, in the process of writing in the last few years have really, um, leaned into, to some more vulnerability. There were some songs in this, this next record that I'm, I'm, a little bit afraid to put out because they are just like my heart on my sleeve and some hard truths to say out loud um but i also realized as a person as an artist i'm an enneagram three i love to just i want people to just like me and i am just always loving to just show the the highlights right i want people to think i've got it all together i'm so guilty of putting on a face and and I'm, and I've had a season of life where I've realized I gotta just, why am I pretending? It's so silly. Not everyone is perfect. I'm not perfect. And it's just ridiculous to pretend and to try. And I also realized that in, in showing the lows and being honest about the struggle, um, that man, that's where vulnerability, like connection comes in vulnerability. And so, um, really high and low is my my journey in learning how to to be okay with the lows as well and so i'm really really looking forward to releasing the the next chunk of this album i for one cannot wait i think it's going to be so great and i i think that actually possibly the pandemic has taught us that that all these kind of you know hidden aspects of of life that we we don't advertise as much that actually they make the best yeah. stories and the best songs and everything um so i'm super excited i'm gonna wrap up very soon but before i let you go i have three questions that i ask everyone that comes on uh behind the sounds awesome. i'm gonna put you on the spot so i apologize and <laughs> um, they're all around threes um but firstly million dollar question can you name three songs that you wish you'd have written oh my goodness um I will always love you. That's number one. To make you feel my love, Bob Dylan, number two. Oh, it's hard to only choose three. Um, um I mean, I have to pick a Patty Griffin song. Probably Moses. Do you know that song? I Patty Griffin is, yeah. The queen. One, one of the many queens but yeah but I could pick like 10 Patty Griffin songs that yeah, I wish I, I think for more it would be probably Blue Sky but yeah so many oh I love that yeah. the melody's the same so many um but yeah so great um okay it, it, I don't know if it gets easier or harder but what about three albums that you couldn't live without oh wow well Patty Griffin living with ghosts yeah um Carol King's Tapestry. It's so hard to only pick three rec and albums too. Um, Paul Simon's still crazy after all these years. 
Great choices. Great choices. It's also hard to pick one Paul Simon record, but <laughs> I love that album. And then final kind of three question. Um, three artists or writers or producers or whomevers that you haven't yet worked with that are on your bucket list that you'd like to work with? Oh my goodness. Um, Adele. <laughs> um, writers or artists that I want to work with. Oh, it is so tricky to, to narrow it down because I have a long list. Um, I would love to sing something before I die with Chris Stapleton. <laughs> that would be insane. That, I can see that definitely happening. Oh, it would be amazing. Um, I'm trying to think of a songwriter. I mean, I really, really want to meet Dolly Parton. I've not yet met her. Um, and so I don't even have to write with her or anything just to be in the room with her. Yeah. And, and uh, that's on the bucket list for sure. <laughs> I, I love that. It's so great. Um, and we are so excited because very shortly we're going to have you back in the UK. Um, Can't wait. So many shows. Um, so we are so excited and I cannot wait to hear the rest of these songs and the next chapter. Um, but I just want to thank you so, so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Leah, for having me. And I can't wait to see you in next week. Woohoo! In the flesh, it's happening. I can't wait. <laughs>